As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey, it's Wendy. And it's Jess. And you're listening to the Food Heaven Podcast, your online resource for delicious and nutritious living. Welcome back to another episode of the Food Heaven Podcast. Today we're talking with Ellie Krieger, who is a registered dietitian and the host and executive producer of the cooking series Ellie's Real Good Food on public television. She's also the host of the hit Food Network show Healthy Appetite. Ellie is a leading go-to dietitian in the media where she helps people find that sweet spot between delicious and healthy. She's also a best-selling author and has won the International Association of Culinary Professionals Award plus two James Beard Foundation Awards. That's a pretty big deal. Ellie is also the author of six cookbooks and her next book, Whole in One, Complete Healthy Meals in a Single Pot, Skillet, or Sheet Pan, was released this week. So we are super excited to have Ellie on the podcast today. Yeah, we've known about Ellie for a while. She's kind of a big deal within the dietitian community. And recently I saw her at an event in New York City and I went up to her. I was fangirling and I was like, oh my God, Ellie, I love all the work that you're doing. And we were chatting it up and I told her about the podcast and she graciously agreed to come on. So we're so, so, so excited to talk to her today about cooking balanced recipes that don't compromise flavor because that's really her specialty. Welcome to the podcast, Ellie. It is so good to be here. Yes, it was so good to meet you in person, Wendy, and I'm, I'm thrilled that this happened. So here we are. Yay. <laughs> awesome. So can you just start out by telling us how you got into cooking and nutrition? So I often quote my mom because she says that me becoming a nutritionist is like a pyromaniac becoming a firefighter. <laughs> so basically, I completely loved food passionately from the minute I was born, I mean, I was just really literally excited about eating all the time. And so that really, you know, that inherent passion about food was always there. It's like in my DNA. And then really when I was a kid, I was overweight. I was underactive and kind of overeating really. And then I just sort of started to get on a healthy plan. My mom really helped me. And it opened my eyes to nutrition and what a difference eating well could make. So nourishing yourself without going overboard or without it being the only thing that makes you happy kind of thing. And then, you know, I really did have quite a journey with food. I, I majored in nutrition as an undergrad. I was pre-med and I was interested in science. I was interested in food and the nutrition major really met all the requirements of pre-med. But as I was studying it, I was sort of I had these aha moments of the depth and breadth of the field. I think really as like an 18-year-old going into it, you don't really realize how much nutrition, pardon the pun, brings to the table because it's sociology, it's psychology, it's biochemistry, 
it's culinary arts, it's politics, it's all of these things. And, and it's such a riveting field. And I, I'm, I'm passionate about it, even all these years later. So I'm thrilled that I, in my life, in my journey, learned to love food in a healthy way. Because I also, in my teens, feel, you know, before I really started studying nutrition, I went the other direction and just became like overly restrictive with food. And that's not healthy either. So I personally experienced kind of both of those extremes and happily live now in a healthy balance. And uh, it isn't always easy, right? I mean, I, I feel that I, I get it, that it's hard for people and myself as well with a busy life, but it's, it's the best way to live, I think. And, and I'm thrilled to be able to share that with everyone. Yeah, I'm happy you shared that because I saw that you have a background in modeling. And by the way, your modeling photos are like, gorgeous. oh my God, they're like dropped out gorgeous. <laughs> like, whoa, like such a babe. And oftentimes with modeling, it's associated with restrictive eating. So how has your relationship to food changed throughout the years? Because it sounds like you've definitely found more balance now where you are in life. So how have you seen that evolution happen throughout the years? Well, personally, I started modeling to put myself through college. So I was never really wanting this like modeling career per se. I just really needed a job. And I had some friends in the, I lived in New York City. I grew up here. I still live here. And I had some friends in the fashion business who encouraged me to go into modeling. And I, I was sort of following their leads and so on. And I really had to pound the pavement and I eventually started doing it. But it was interesting to me because as I started working as a model, and then I went back to school um, and I was modeling sort of on the summer breaks. Eventually, I went and got my master's in nutrition at night and modeled full time. So it wound up being this like 15 year career, but always in my mind, just a temporary thing that was more of a means to an end for me. And it, it really financed my nutrition career. And that's how I saw it. But really studying nutrition and modeling kind of concurrently was very interesting because I learned so much about I learned so much about myself and how to own what I am and who I am and realized that if I eat well and nourish myself, I don't have to starve myself. <laughs> and even starving myself is no way to really get anywhere. And then observing some of the models around me in my world, really mostly the people that I was observing, I would mainly think to myself, that's what I'm not going to wind up doing. So I, I really was able to sort of take in that information. And to be honest, I had some jobs where, well, there's one situation in particular that I'll share with you because it's one of my proudest moments, actually, because I was on summer break from school, from college, and I really needed now. And by this time, I'm kind of like out of money because I spent, you know, all my expenses took up um, the money from the previous summer. So I really needed to make some money that summer. And I was back kind of pounding the pavement, doing go-sees and trying to get some modeling gigs. And this one person said to me, okay, well, we're shooting this in, it was like some kind of swimwear thing. And she said, well, you know, when you walk, your butt jiggles or whatever. And she was really embarrassed to even say this to me. But she, and, and P.S., I was like in the best shape of my life. I was doing mini triathlon, training for it. I was eating great. And I knew, and she basically said to me, if you think it's just a matter of dieting and working out for two weeks, then I'll hire you for this. But otherwise my client's really particular and they don't want like any flesh moving kind oh of thing on the God. runway. And I looked at her and I said, and again, reminding you, I really needed the paycheck, but I looked at her and I said, 
this is my body. And it's really not a matter of, of doing that. So thanks for the opportunity, but no. And I went in the elevator and I cried (laughs) the whole way down. But to this day, I feel like, you know what? That was like a pivotal moment for me. It was saying, sorry, I'm a woman. My butt moves when I walk. I'm proud of that. This is who I am. I think I look fabulous. I don't have to, I'm not going to harm myself to meet this standard. And, and I, I think it really goes a long way. Yeah, that's, I was, you know, in a particular field of modeling or whatever. So I was almost hardened to that. But in our world today, we're all trying to live up to that ridiculous standard. And I think that none of us should. <laughs> Agreed. I feel like it should be illegal also to kind of pressure women in this, in, in the modeling industry to change their bodies. Like, that. you know, it just sounds ridiculous. And I, yeah, I've heard a lot of traumatizing stories like that. So thank you for sharing. And it's nice that you were able to find a balance that works for you. Kind of shifting gears a little bit to fast forward to kind of where you are now with like cooking and making things exciting. A lot of our listeners wanted to know from you, like, how do you, if there are people who feel like they, they struggle in the kitchen and they want to cook these healthy balanced meals, like how do you make cooking more fun and exciting on an everyday basis? Well, two things, wine and music. (laughs) (laughs) Great. (laughs) I'm I'm saying that half joking, really. But I do think like changing your your mindset kind of, because I do personally, I come home from a long day of work and I cook dinner usually, and I'm kind of tired and not in the mood to cook dinner, just like everybody else. But something happens where I'm like, you know what, I'll just do something simple and I'll put on some music and I'll sip a little wine and maybe, you know, and wrangle my husband and daughter to help. And then suddenly it becomes this like nice part of the evening that we're doing together or that I'm just like grooving to some tunes. And so it doesn't feel as much like work. And I think part of it then there is definitely like kind of shifting your mindset in that way. And the other part of it is making sure that you have really plan ahead so that you have at least like three ingredients for three dishes that you can make that week. And then, then there's leftovers, Right. Um, which I lo- I'm a huge fan of leftovers, but it could be simple too. So planning each week, I sort of on a Sunday, I'm like, okay, what three things should I make this week? And then I just make sure I have those ingredients on hand. So I have, I'm not so stressed at the last minute thinking, oh, I have to go to the store and then go home. So I think that planning ahead, changing your mindset a little bit, and then also keeping it simple. I think in this food TV world that I live in, that I'm part of, Sometimes it can make it look like you have to do something fabulous, like, you know, make this amazing au jus or something in order to have a great meal. And you don't. And and to eat healthfully, you don't have to cook beans from scratch that you've soaked and seasoned. I mean, I use canned beans all the time. So using convenient foods that are healthful convenience foods so that they're at your fingertips, things like canned beans and frozen shrimp and, and things like that. And pre-cut greens, they're great. So taking advantage of those shortcuts also to make it easier for yourself. And then, you know what? Just flavor can come from something as simple as really beautiful, juicy lemon, salt and pepper. I think just that on a beautiful, really nice piece of fish or some chicken that's been grilled and then you squirt it with like some lemon. I mean, even just right there, you're really, you would have the beginnings of of a really great meal and it can be so simple. Hey guys, I wanted to take a quick second to talk about this week's podcast sponsor, which we are really, really, really excited about. 
The sponsor is The Financial Gym. Now, if you're like me, you're always saving for something. I also am currently trying to get my money right to get my student loans paid off because I have a ton of student loans. So I think this podcast sponsor is perfect for people trying to get their money right. The Financial Gym is a personal financial services company that takes a fitness-inspired approach to their clients' finances. And what they do is work with you one-on-one so you'll have your own certified financial trainer and they will teach you how to make smarter money decisions that add up over time to help you reach all the goals that you set out for yourself. It doesn't matter whether you need help budgeting, saving, investing, repaying that debt. Your financial trainer will help you with all of it. And the cool thing is the financial gym provides you with your own dedicated person, your own dedicated trainer that gives you the accountability, support, and financial expertise to make sure you're achieving your goals and also beyond. This would have been perfect for me, honestly. It took me forever to even start thinking about saving. And I wish I had something like this when I was in my 20s because I literally didn't start thinking about it until I was in my 30s. But It's never too late, but you know, it's awesome if you can kind of start thinking about that beforehand. So what do you get if you sign up for a monthly membership? Well, you get a one-on-one hour goal setting meeting with your trainer. You also get a customized financial plan. You get ongoing access to your financial trainer to answer any questions that come up because we all know that those questions really come up between sessions and they'll give you access to an online spend tracking portal, which I think is critical to see where exactly your money's going because you can't really do anything about it if you don't know what's happening. Plus, you'll get quarterly review meetings to help make sure they are helping you stay on track. So how do you sign up? Well, you know, we have the hookups. So what you need to do is go to financialgym.com slash foodheaven and you're going to get, wait for it, a free 20 minute consultation call. You want to make sure that you mention food heaven on the call because that's how you get 20% off of your monthly membership. So head on over to financialgym.com slash food heaven, mention us and get that 20% off your monthly membership and get to saving and flourishing. I love that you touched on meal prep because we're huge on meal prep. And I think like you're in you're in the food world and the food media world. And a lot of these recipes can be very overwhelming. And so I find that people are very all or nothing where it's like I either have to make like this very intricate dish or they like just make it very like unappealing and unappetizing and then they end up getting bored. So yeah, meal prep is so important to incorporate the balance, but also to keep things creative because yeah, we're all busy. We all have things to do. And then oftentimes cooking just gets set aside. So you mentioned that you live with your husband and daughter and a lot of our listeners tell us that they struggle with getting their loved ones or their children on board with getting more involved in the kitchen. Um, So what are some things that you have found to be especially useful when trying to get your husband and daughter not only involved in the kitchen, but also open to trying new dishes that you're making? Yeah, it's interesting because I, from the beginning, had my daughter in the kitchen with me. I mean, even when she was like two years old, I just kind of set her up with a piece of bread and a butter knife and she'd hack away at it or tearing lettuce or doing simple things that a little toddler could do. And I'm probably making a more of a mess than helping, but ultimately it kind of just got her comfortable in the kitchen. To be honest, she's 16 years old and she really has no interest in cooking and that's fine. But what I do tell her is she needs to learn the skills. So if she wants me to make something for her, like she loves my lasagna, 
which I don't blame her because it's really good. <laughs> <laughs> but if she wants to learn some, if she wants me to make something, I'll make her like do it with me just so she learns the skills. So she knows how to use a knife. She knows how to make a sauce. She knows how to brown something in a pan or whatever it may be. So that's okay if she doesn't, she's not that into cooking. That would be great, but it's fine that she's not, again, just having those skills. And then my husband, I'm sort of like, and then, but I do bring them on to help simply because we're all going to eat, right? And so this isn't just my job. This is everybody's, everyone needs to participate in the meal just as we participate in other family tasks that need to get done. And so to me, it's, it's just like not negotiable in that regard. So my husband typically does the, the dishes. Um, so that's cool. I'm fine that's cooking helpful. and everything and planning if he does the dishes, because that's my least favorite part of it. But sometimes, you know, I'll say, hey, can you preheat this and cut this up and prep some things before I get home? And so everyone needs to be part of the team. So I think it's a mistake to think that, you know, one person needs to carry that that burden, or I guess you could say burden, but um, but it is in some ways because everyone needs to eat, right? Um, in terms of everyone wanting to eat what what is served, I think that's a really interesting thing because I think with kids, it's definitely like a power struggle. And I found that almost as the years go by, my daughter almost likes fewer and fewer things in a way, although she has very good palate. So it's an interesting balance. But I just serve what I serve and this is what's for dinner. I literally do not and I try to accommodate different tastes. So I know my husband, you know, he likes, oh, he likes really most things. So that's good. But he definitely has certain preferences over others. But I, I really try to accommodate, you know, try to plan my meal so that most, most of the dishes people, I know that they're going to basically like it. But I don't worry about it if they don't, because this is what's for dinner. And if you don't want it, you can make something for yourself. I have kind of that tough love approach for, of it. And it really has gone a long way, especially with my daughter, because um, she knows this is the dinner. This is a really important time for our family to sit down and be together. And, and we do that and we talk and sometimes we bicker, too, just like every other family. But it is a really sacred time. There's no electronics. We eat what's on the what's served and we appreciate it. And we try to express gratitude at the table too. always, you know saying a little, our little form of grace in a way. So I think that goes a long way. Yeah, I love that you mentioned giving your children space because I think especially during adolescence, there's like this rebellion phase. And I remember with my mom, she would always try to get me to cook in the kitchen. She's a great cook. And I would just always rebel and say, no, I'm not interested. I'm not, you know, and so I would, I was never interested in cooking when I was in high school, even when I was in college. And then eventually I just kind of came to it naturally. And now I'm like obsessed with cooking and she's always making fun of me. But I think giving children that space, especially teenagers, is so important and just allowing them to explore it on their own. Yeah. And now look what happened to you. I have a feeling that's what's going to be with my daughter too, especially when she starts to go to college and beyond. She was going to realize like, wow, in order to have this good food, I'm going to have to make it. So um, that's why I cook really, because I really, you this is the food that I like. I can make it the way I like it. I mean, that's a fabulous thing to be able to do. Yeah. My mom waited until like two weeks before I was graduating high school. And she was like, okay, now it's time for you to learn to cook. Like come in the kitchen. I was like, yeah, no, <laughs> not at all. It was the same thing. Like there was a period, I mean, there was a long period where I was just doing like 
Trader Joe's, like frozen. I mean, I still do some of those, but like frozen meals, like for every single meal. And then like, I think for me, what really helped was working at the farmer's market. So me and Wendy worked at the farmer's market doing cooking demonstrations. I worked there, I think it was like 2009 to 2012 or something. And that really got me excited about like the fresh produce and trying different recipes and just cooking in general and feeling good after eating, you know, fresh, healthy foods. And then I developed more of like a palate for you know, what fresh garlic tastes like versus what garlic tastes like on a shelf that's been shipped from wherever that, you know, doesn't, it just doesn't taste the same and have the same flavor profile. So yeah, I think it's important to just kind of let people discover food and cooking in the way that, you know, they're meant to, I guess. Yeah. And it is like a muscle in that way. Like you don't, you don't just all of a sudden, boom, you're like, okay, I'm going to cook now. And then you can make everything and you all of a sudden are passionate about it. Exactly. I think it happens gradually and consistently. If you say, okay, each week I'm going to make three things and maybe I'm going to have my repertoire of 10, 10 dishes that I make. And maybe each, every couple of weeks I'll add one before you know it, you're cooking, you're trying different things, you're adding. And before you know it, you have this wealth of experience, but it's just like exercising a muscle where you do have to just like gradually strengthen that. Yeah, I've burned so many dishes in my, <laughs> in my time. It's like, but I think mistakes, but so do I. To this day, I make mistakes. Yeah. And I think that, that we need to allow that. You know, First of all, I, I have this little model, like how bad could it be, right? So even if I make a mistake, it's probably still like perfectly edible and fine. And then I learned a little bit like, okay, if I do this, the outside gets too brown too fast. I'll lower the temperature next time or whatever it is. I'll learn and put that in the bank for next time. And that's how you acquire skills. You don't just automatically wake up knowing how to do it. For your cooking shows, do you, how does it work? Because I'm always curious because I see like Rachel Ray and it sounds like she tests a lot of the recipes at home and she has those as part of like her meals, at least like back in the day when I used to watch her show. But how does it work for you? Do you come up with all of these recipe ideas yourself? Yes, I do. Oh my God. (laughs) I I get inspired like in all different ways and all different places. I get inspired a lot of times just from like going through my Instagram feed. I get inspired by going to the farmer's market and, and even discovering like, what is that? That's an interesting looking radish like or whatever. I get inspired by going to restaurants. Um, fortunately, in New York, you know, you can really, there's so many different types of cuisines to explore. And a lot of times, maybe I'll eat be eating in a place that's kind of even upscale and I'll see a, maybe a combination of different ingredients that on a home, I try to think, oh, how would this, how could I translate this into like a home kitchen, a home cooking type of approach? Meanwhile, I know that they were like preparing it with like tweezers ever so carefully in the back of their kitchen. But, you know, trying to think about, wow, these basic flavors work great. Let me bring that to a home environment. So that's how I kind of think. And that, and then you just start to think like that. And, and a lot of times I get inspired simply because I'm just craving something. Like I'll be laying in bed saying, I want meatballs <laughs> with, oh, maybe I'll make some kind of like chipotle spiced meatball hero thing. Or I don't know, I get like these cravings and then I I, I have to launch, I have to launch from there. <laughs> I love it. 
The unfortunate thing, though, nowadays is that food has kind of become the enemy in some ways. There's so much like fear mongering and stress around eating. I was just listening to this podcast yesterday with a dietitian who deals a lot with, I forget her name, but she deals a lot with GI nutrition and also the intersection of like GI nutrition and disordered eating. And she was just saying it is just a mess out there and everybody's scared to eat and they don't know what to do. So how do you kind of navigate all of that? And can you talk a little bit about your usually, sometimes, and rarely food philosophy? Yeah. So first of all, the level of fear around food is like unprecedented right now. And particularly, I feel like people are afraid of of carbs, like carbs is like this somehow code for like bad for you. And I just think it's such a terrible, terrible mistake to think like that. And, and I think it really comes to being about balance. And so maybe people were eating, if you're only eating carbohydrate rich foods and and dense carbohydrates, like pretzels all day and bagels and, and and big sandwiches with on huge rolls, then yeah, maybe changing that needed to happen. But saying no to bread and occasional pretzel and, and is a mistake. And then, so there's a sense of all or nothing that we really have sunk into that is, and it's a pit. It's a terrible place to be. And in terms of fear of food, I think people are like afraid to eat a piece of fruit because it has quote unquote too much sugar. You know, they're worried about that. And it's really a shame because these are foods that have sustained people and kept them healthy for generations and their whole unprocessed foods. And you can eat too much of anything. So, you know, it's about balance. So, but it's interesting because the word moderation, the word balance, it doesn't really, it's not specific enough. It's very hard to grasp. And so I I have come up with this idea and, and this is really my core food philosophy of usually, sometimes, and rarely. So there's these categories of food and you can, and it's what you do usually that really defines your diet, that defines your well-being, that defines your eating habits. And there's no such thing as never. So it's usually, sometimes, rarely. And it's important to note there's no such thing as never. So you, it, it takes away this whole notion of the forbidden fruit. So all the people that are on those that extreme deprivation, no whatever, no carbs, whatever, eventually they snap. And they wind up binging those foods. And that's the whole, usually, sometimes, rarely, it combats that. Because now there's no forbidden fruit. And it's about really looking at what are my usually foods. Those are whole you know, vegetables, whole fruits, whole grains, lean proteins, fish, nuts and seeds and healthy oils. And that's like the core. And then the sometimes foods are foods that you can sprinkle and maybe they're a little bit more processed. So maybe... It's like a baguette. Like I'm not living my life without eating a piece of French bread again. (laughs) But it's mainly so I know that I am better off eating a whole grain, really nutty bread. But once in a while, it's fine to have a piece of baguette, right? Maybe another sometimes food is like a natural sweetener or an unrefined sweetener like honey or or maple syrup. You want to kind of watch it, but it's essentially not so bad for you. Then the rarely foods are foods that maybe... On, are on a lot of people's no list or on, or maybe even chefs use with a heavy hand. So butter, cream, bacon, sugar, and those can be sprinkled in to dishes in, I like to say, 
in minimum amounts for maximum impact. Mm. So you know what? If a little bit of brown sugar on my berries brings them to this like heavenly state, why wouldn't I do that? It's fine. Or maybe in my yogurt, a little honey in my yogurt. Or maybe even, you know, I'm going to have a BLT now and then. I'm going to use real bacon. I'm going to use maybe a couple of slices instead of a half a pound. And I'm going to put like an avocado herbs bread instead of mayonnaise and a nice big fat, juicy, ripe tomato. And I'm going to put it on whole grain bread. And then I have like overall a pretty healthful thing. And it's just hitting the spot. I'm not going to be craving bacon for the next year. It's sort of like it really brings it all together in a balanced way. Um, So I always do my recipes. So it's interesting because my very first book laid out that usually sometimes rarely idea. and, And I developed it when I was working with individual clients and saw this like crazy roller coaster of extremes that they were on. And then I wound up using it really as the basis for every recipe that I develop. So every time I create a recipe, I think, how can I make this mostly usually foods? And what does it need if it needs a little more richness, if it needs a little bit of honey to to punch up the flavors, to really transform it into something fabulous? How can I work those sometimes and rarely foods in in a way that's like very thoughtful, um, that keeps the balance? So, So that's, I find it an incredibly helpful way to really reframe your thinking about food. I think that's why I'm really drawn to your recipes because you're not making like a million modifications. Like you keep it relatively easy, flavorful, creative, but also you're not afraid to use things like butter and sugar. I was just looking at one recipe, your ricotta cheesecake with the fresh raspberries, and I was Mm. literally gagging because it looks so, so good. And are you, I think you said you're more of a savory person, right? Or are you on the sweet side? I would be happy with just like a buttered bread for dessert. (laughs) I do do prefer savory, but I do love chocolate. Okay. But um, but that cheesecake that you mentioned is really lovely. And it is, it's light, but it hits the spot. Like you you don't want to eat something. I mean, so it's funny because sometimes somebody will write to me and say, oh, can you make that without sugar? And I feel like writing back. I'm always polite, but I do feel like writing back like, yeah, if you want it to taste bad, (laughs) (laughs) go for it. It's just not going to be good. And then you're just going to want something else. Exactly. So so I feel like, um, I mean, I love that cheesecake. It's so light and lovely and it's the right portion size and it has some sugar, but like a minimal amount. It's not overly sweet and it totally hits the spot. So it's that kind of thing. So to your point, yeah, I do like dessert sometimes, but it's, I prefer savory food generally. Yeah, me too. I'm more of a savory person. So along those lines, what are some things that you like to do to make the flavors in your savory dishes really pop? Like, are there ingredients that you like to use or techniques that you like to use? Yeah, so I love, well, it depends on the season, right? Because I think a lot of flavor actually comes from the cooking process itself. So if I'm making like, I don't know, I love to roast. So roasting vegetables, I think that caramelized flavor that they get. So literally just like olive oil, salt, and pepper on like pretty much any vegetable and then roast it. And to me, it's just lovely. Okay, so then you take some acid. So acid really pumps up food and brightens it and brings it to life. So not relying on salt only to do that, right? So acid like lemon juice or lime juice or a splash of vinegar on something um, really helps or particularly maybe balsamic vinegar on, on vegetables. So things like that to just like amp it up. 
So a lot of stuff, good stuff happens in the oven or on the grill. And then I love fresh herbs. I use a lot of fresh herbs. So, you know, finishing things with a splash of, I think mint is actually an interesting herb to use in savory applications. So it's really lovely to chop up a little mint and put it over your hummus, for example, or to sprinkle that on your like lemon doused chicken breast. Um, It's really remarkable what a little bit of sprinkle of fresh herbs like mint or basil or cilantro can do there. I love all of it. And especially the mint on the hummus, have not thought of that. I actually just made something like that last night with a little bit of dill. It was like a Mediterranean white bean spread. And it was a complete, yeah, it was a hit. I did it with like feta cheese. And I like playing with textures too. So I like crumbled some peanuts on it for a little bit of a crunch. And yeah, everyone was loving it. Yeah. That sounds amazing. I love dill too. I think it's kind of underrated. I think dill is fabulous. (laughs) Right. I feel like you only see cilantro... Really basil. cilantro and basil, yeah. but there's so many <laughs> other herbs yeah. to play with. It's fun to explore. And then people are always like, what do I do with the leftovers? And I think just puree them with a little bit of oil, and then you can put them in an ice cube tray. Uh, oil or water, and put them in an ice cube tray and freeze them. And then you have these little cubes of lusciousness that you can just sort of like put into, let's say you're sauteing some chicken or fish, and then you put one of those like cubes of herb in there. It's beautiful. By the way, I recently saw like your cooking hacks video, which was genius. We have to link it in the show notes where you were like showing people like cool things that they can do with kitchen appliances. Mm. Um, do you know what I'm talking about, Ellie? Yes. Yeah. I love that, that video. Is it on Instagram? Totally. I think it's on Facebook, right? Um, that one is on, oh, it's on Facebook, but it's on Instagram too. It's on Instagram TV. It's so good. I usually, every week I do some kind of video, but I usually do a live on Facebook and then I post something on Instagram TV. Ooh, I love it. Gonna check it out. So we've been asking our guests this, the following question, (laughs) what does wellness look like for you? Hmm. And so do you mean like in a practical way or like in a metaphorical way? (laughs) Or just like either, like what does wellness mean to you? You know, it could be like kind of how you just try to stay balanced in your everyday life. Yeah. Um, Wellness to me means listening to my body and responding to what it needs. So maybe wellness on a certain day is going to be to go to a restorative yoga class and not the really hard power yoga class. Um, and responding to that. Maybe wellness to me means I'm hungry today. I'm, I feel like my body is just like needs more food <laughs> and eating and actually nourishing yourself in that way. Or maybe it's, um, wow, I really, wellness to me is making time to work out when I have a million things on my agenda. And then I say to myself, oh, I don't have time to work out. And my response is, girl, you don't have time not to work out. Mm. <laughs> you can't afford not to, like in a good way of allowing yourself to take care, the time to put in to take care of yourself in that way. So that's what wellness looked like to me, really listening and, and making that happen to, to let your body have what it needs and deserves and, and nourishing and, and being active. I love that. And I think also just being open to change because that's been, yeah, that's been the underlying, like the ongoing conversation when we ask our guests that question, that wellness just always changes for everyone depending on what's happening in your life and just being open to that. Because I think especially in this culture where it's like there's just so many rigid rules around wellness, people get stuck on just having it be one thing. And that that flexibility is really important too. 
Oh, I completely agree. And actually, it's interesting in my journey with yoga in particular, because I've been doing it for uh, about 25 years. I've actually, my progress has been to be more gentle with myself because maybe otherwise I would like push myself into these poses and hurt my wrists or my neck a little bit. And I'm learning like, no, that's not worth it. Mm -hmm. And so actually my journey and my improvement has come from pulling back a little and saying, it's okay. Taking my ego out of it and saying, I don't need to put to, to hurt. I, I need to be responsive and more gentle with myself. I love that. All right. Well, in thinking about some take-home points for our listeners, can you tell us three things that people can start doing right now to eat more delicious, balanced meals in their kitchen? So take one hour on the weekend and literally plan out three things that you're going to eat that week. And you can get your family to chime in, say, oh, what would you like this week if they have any ideas? If they don't, then, then go for it. And then make sure you have those ingredients. And then also look for, maybe you have your basic recipes that you always make. Look for one new one, one new one, maybe one new one every week or so. Something you're going to try a little bit differently that doesn't feel too hard, that feels super doable. So I would say those two things. And then the other thing is to just make sure you make time for yourself. Put that in your schedule, literally in your calendar as an appointment. And if a work thing comes up, you can literally say, instead of saying, oh, I have to work out, you can just say, I have an appointment because you actually do Mm -hmm. have an appointment with yourself. And I think that you need to honor that. So, Yeah. Or I have a commitment at that time. (laughs) That's what I've been using. Exactly. I have an appointment on my sofa with a pillow. (laughs) (laughs) Can't do it. (laughs) So you have big news, right? You had a book, yeah, that was released yesterday called Hole in One. Can you tell us more about it and where we can find it? I'm so excited about this book. It's my baby. It's my new baby. Um, So Hole in One, W-H-O-L-E. So it's complete healthy meals in one single pot skillet or sheet pan and it's available everywhere and it has it's really great i mean it has it literally will make cooking so much easier because it's just one vessel each recipe is made in one vessel and it's a complete meal so one of the things that i found when i was researching kind of these one pot cookbooks is that a lot of times they would say like oh put in the cooked pasta. I'm like, wait a second, cooked pasta, that's cheating. So this is genuinely, you know, one, it's all happening in one pot. It's not complicated and it's all like nutritionally complete. So meals have adequate protein, are are chock full of vegetables. If they have a grain, it's a whole grain. So um, that kind of healthful one pot, it really makes it doable for everyday eating. And, And I've been Cooking, you know, it takes about two years to get this book out. And so I've been like enjoying this food with my family almost every night. And I cannot wait to share these wonderful recipes with everyone. So the book is finally out and and I'm excited to share it. So it's called Whole in One. Yay. That's so so excited. That's a great idea, by the way. I love one pots and one pans because I hate washing dishes. Yeah. It's It's easy. (laughs) It's just like the best way to just throw everything together, especially when it's like you throw it all together and it actually works because sometimes it doesn't. So I can't wait to make the recipes in your cookbook. And there's also desserts, just FYI, everybody. So it's not just dinner and lunch. Like you'll get some treats in there too. Yes. Oh, I have really yummy. I I do love these desserts. I have really yummy and fun desserts in there. And also besides it being one pot, the other thing I noticed 
is that sometimes these one pot cookbooks, you have a million dishes, bowls and mixing bowls in the sink. I was very careful that there's really only maybe one or two bowls that are required. You're not going to have a lot of dishes in the sink when you're done. I really tried to really keep it to a minimum. And it's funny because I said my husband does the dishes. So this book is really a gift to him because (laughs) (laughs) he's the one that benefits probably the most in the end. But I'm just kidding about that. I mean, it, it really makes it super doable. And that's really my goal with all of my cookbooks. I mean, I have another cookbook that's Weeknight Wonders, which is 30 minutes or less another book that's make ahead. So all of my books basically like try to tackle these issues that, that make cooking feel overwhelming for people and just like take it down to a really doable level. I love all of it. And we love it so much. We're going to be giving away a free copy to one of you guys. So here's what you have to do to get your copy. So you're going to go follow Ellie on Instagram and it's E L L I E underscore Krieger, K-R-I-E-G-E-R. So go follow Ellie and then also review this podcast. It's Food Heaven Podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. And let us know that you did both of those things. You can send us a DM on Instagram and we will pick a winner to get a copy of the book. But make sure you also just go buy the book too because it's, you want to support. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it sounds like yeah. a great Oh yeah. my gosh. And there are so many beautiful pictures in there. It's just like, it's so fun to just like flip through it's like beautiful pictures oh well thank you so much Ellie for being a part actually before that let me back up is there anything else that you or any other things that you want to share with us or like other places people can find your work oh sure well so you can go on my website elliekrieger.com and I have lots of recipes on there I have video clips from my show I have articles from my Washington Post column. So feel free to go to my website. Again, that's elliekrieger.com. And then you can read about all my books there too if you want to check out the new one or whatever. Does this make book number six or number seven? Seven. Oh my oh, God. Seventh seven <laughs> <So>, heaven. <laughs> seventh heaven. I used to watch that show. Seventh heaven. Any, <laughs> anyone else? <laughs> No? Okay. So thank you so much, (laughs) Ellie, for being a part of this podcast. This is a great conversation. I'm definitely going to take those tips and run with them. And we just really appreciate all the knowledge that you shared. So thanks again. Thank you. Take care. See you soon. Bye. Bye, Ellie. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Food Heaven podcast. If you enjoyed this episode as much as we did, please do us a huge favor and leave us a review on iTunes. Do it right now because, as you all know, the more reviews we get, the higher we're ranked in iTunes, and that means that this episode gets out to more people. Listen up to this listener review by Abina Anana. As a family nurse practitioner in cardiology and primary care, I use approaches taught and shared on this podcast all of the time. Practical interventions people can implement on their own are what helps us get and stay well. Thank you, Abina. I appreciate that review. And it's nice to hear that there's other medical professionals listening to this podcast. It means a lot. Also, make sure to connect with us online. We are on Instagram. That's where we're most active, at Food Heaven. We're also on Facebook at Food Heaven Made Easy and Twitter at Food Heaven Show. 
Our podcast is released every Wednesday. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an update. In each episode, we'll cover tips and tricks for making lifelong changes to help you live a healthier, more balanced life. We also interview leading experts in the field of health and nutrition to pick their brains on how to cultivate a healthy life that you love. We hope you enjoy this episode and we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye. 